0: Welcome to SLP Full Disclosure, the podcast for SLPs by SLPs, where we deep dive into a variety of topics to empower, educate, and entertain. Join us each episode to hear from expert guests and topics that matter most. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't already, and let's jump into this episode. Hello, and welcome to SLP Full Disclosure. I'm one of your hosts, Jennifer Martin, and joining me is my co-host, Alyssa Hunter. Hello, everybody. So we are going to continue on with our series, Five Ideas in 30 Minutes or Less. If you haven't started from the beginning, please do go back. We've already covered some behavior challenges, and now we are moving on to addressing articulation. And I feel like articulation is one of those areas where we all, it's going to be a part of all of our jobs as speech and language pathologists at some point. And it's something where I feel like some people really love it and embrace it and know exactly what they're going to do. And others like myself feel like I get really stuck in it. Sometimes it feels monotonous. And so we're going to talk about some ideas and some different things that we use and have liked, and hopefully this will help give you all some ideas. So we are going to get started. Um, Alyssa, why don't you get us started?
1: All right. So I wouldn't say that articulation is like my favorite kind of therapy, but I do like it for some reasons. And one of those being is that you have a really clear path that you're going down, right? And so that's kind of nice you know, because there's a lot of other things in speech where it can go in a lot of directions. But one of the things that I have loved, especially if I'm working with gen ed kids with articulation, so these are kids who are, you know, neurodevelopmentally typical, um, is that I really rely on super explicit teaching. Now, this might sound obvious, but I mean, I get really down and dirty, nitty gritty with these kids. Like I will go to the nth degree explaining to them exactly what all of their articulators have to do. So of course I have to preface this with, again, your kid has to be, you know, at grade level, it has to be old enough to understand this. So usually I wouldn't do this until we're in like, let's say second or third grade. Um, But especially for those kids. Those are the type of kids who had typically already been in speech for a few years. So they're like, yeah, I know I need the R sound. I know I need the S sound. And so taking this to the next level with really explicit, detailed teaching of where their tongue, their teeth, how stable their jaw needs to be, how their lips need to be positioned exactly, and really getting down with them and analyzing how they're doing it, and little adjustments to make, makes all the difference. I have had many students say to me like, oh my gosh, I finally understand what I need to do because instead of just doing drills, drills, drills all day, we're actually doing a teaching method of shaping exactly where their articulators need to be. Now, one of my favorite tools to do this explicit teaching is... An app called Speech Tutor. Um, and Speech Tutor basically is it has like kind of like a see-through face where you can see where all the articulators are and it shows it's a, obviously a cartoon drawing but it shows as the sound is being formed you can see the mouth from many angles of where all the articulators are so you can talk about it you can look at it the kid can watch it and then immediately try to produce it with their mouth we can discuss how their articulators were in a different position than what the app was showing um, and so especially for those invisible sounds, like of course with a P you can, you know, demonstrate that your lips are coming together, but something like the R sound, which is, you know, will keep us in business forever. It's a little bit harder. And so I find really getting down to it has been super helpful for those kids who have been in speech for years and just are still having trouble with the same sounds.
0: Yeah. And I think this is so important to think about from the beginning And because oftentimes we will say, well, you're just going to, we're going to keep practicing this sound. We're going to keep practicing, but they're, they're doing the same thing over and over (laughs) to make the sound incorrectly. And so it's just, and this is why you see, okay, six years later, we're still working on the R. What is going on? We keep doing the same thing and expecting a different outcome so what do we need to do differently and it's it's i think about it, it you know i ski and so if somebody if i'd never skied or was skiing incorrectly and someone didn't tell me the steps that i needed to be an effective skier and actually do the sport i would never get any better
1: you would and, end up like me right <laughs> <laughs> on the bunny
0: <body> hill <laughs> well, you're getting better but you're you're taking you're doing what you need to to get better and this is the same thing it's just they if they don't know what they're doing and what they need to do, how can they improve upon that? And even with my upper ele- my elementary and older students, I explained to them even down to muscle memory and how this is, these are muscles. I mean, I think, you know, the tongue is a muscle, your lips, there's it's muscles. And so explaining to them what other activities that they would do and how those muscles would need to be used to do those activities, speech is no different. You're going to use the muscles. You're going to build new habits. And this is where I think really talking with them about this is what you need to do in order to effectively produce the sound. This is it's a lot of people's tongues do this when they should be doing this. And we just want it to make sure that people can always understand you and you're clear in what you're saying. And then you can eventually not come see me. And that's another big thing is helping them understand if you do this and do it enough, it's a new habit. And then we're done with speech. You don't have to come see me anymore. So I think that is great, is just a wonderful foundation to start with.
1: Yes, absolutely. Talking to kids kind of like adults and explaining, this is exactly what we need to do. And this will be the future if we continue to work on this and tweak it.
0: Absolutely. So one of the things I'm going to talk about that I love, and I love to do this with elementary and older students is a game that some of you may have heard of it's called left right center and i love this game I've never because heard of it. oh it's so fun it's you can buy it in any store it's small and portable i play this with friends as as well there's so many fun things you can do but in therapy it's great because the concept of the game is this that everybody starts out with Specific amount of tokens, I think it's like five. And then you roll these three dice, and every die has on it an L, an R, a C, and then a dot. And so you roll all three, and let's say I roll two L's and a dot. Then I have to send two of my tokens to the left, and then I get to keep one. And you know, if it's a C, then you put it in the center. If it's an R, you put however many you roll, you send those to the person, give those to the person on your right. And I love it for groups doing articulation because it goes fast and it creates a lot of opportunities to be able to practice that sound. So for example, if I roll and um, you know I have three tokens, then every you can make up rules where it's like every time you send a token to the left, then you have to produce the sound three times. Every time it goes into the center, you have to produce it five times. Every time it goes to the right, two times. You decide the rules ahead of time. But I also like it because then you can expand on it and say, okay, every time it's to the center, it's single word. Every time it's to the left, you have to do a, use it in a phrase. And you can really build upon it. And it's fast. It's fun. There's like a competitive piece to it. And again, it's super affordable and it's very small and compact. All you have are the tokens and and the dice. And, and you can even use it with, you know, pennies or anything else. That's what I've done it with my adult friends with quarters. And then whoever gets the, is the winner at the end. The winner at the end is the person who's got any tokens left. Everybody else's tokens have been put into the center. So you could just go around until there's one person who has even one token left. And so it's really fun because oftentimes when it gets down to the very end, the students love this because maybe two students left and then the third one thinks they're out, but then sure enough, they roll and boop, another one goes to the right or another one goes to the left. So you're never really out until the game is officially over. And again, it's fun, it's fast, it's affordable, and it just creates a lot of opportunities to practice and you can build upon it in any way that you you need. So that's oh, a fun I one. I
1: love that. I mean, yeah. I love anything that's a quick turn, you know, mm-hmm. pop-up pirate or anything that you can... Slip in that motivator, but it's going to be quick and not Mm -hmm. a distraction to the goal. But I also love that you can talk about having those um, multiple trials within a turn. Mm -hmm. And then also, I love that each kid knows when it's their turn to say their articulation. So if you're working with a group of five kids and everyone has different levels of articulation and different goals, I mean, I'm even thinking with mixed groups, like one kid's language, one kid's Arctic, whatever, they can each have their own task that they're doing when it's their turn. And it sounds like the game's a really low cognitive load for them to like participate in. Mm -hmm. So I love that. I'm ready to go look that up on Amazon.
0: Yeah, it's so fun. It's one of my favorites. We we play it a lot at home. And then again, with students, and and like you said, you can do uh, many other speech Tasks with it, but I like it for Arctic specifically because it is fast, and and everybody gets a lot of of trials. So that's, yeah. It's awesome. Left, right, center. So left, right, center. Okay. And I don't I'm make any money out. off the F. I don't I'm not I'm not, uh, You're not sponsored. associated with them. <laughs> but maybe I will be after this. If enough of you go buy it, then <laughs> this may be <laughs> the last podcast
1: you hear me on. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Becoming rich and famous off of left, right, center. Well listen, you know, write me from your mansion. <laughs> I I will. Exactly. It's like when I was a kid, I'd say, Well, if
0: everybody in the world just gave me a dollar. I would have so much money, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking of games, one of the things I really love to do with articulation therapy is gamifying the process for the kid. So even if you're not actually playing a game, I mean, you can be playing a game, but let's just say you're not. Maybe you're like, I have too much going on and we just need to get in these drills. That making it a gamified process. So when I say gamified, I mean like, you know, badges and things like things that people can see their own process. That's what it means to gamify something. So when it comes to articulation therapy, I like to do it in two different main ways. One is creating a self-rating board. So like nowadays kids love emojis, but you can use anything that indicates something that is, you know, one side of the scale is going to be not a good production, you can have a middle um, part of the scale that's okay, and then a great production. And so this is going to be a sliding scale for them. And after every um, trial that they'll be sliding their finger on this scale to try to evaluate where they are and make that board something that's motivating for them. So if they love emojis, you could put emojis on there. If they like superheroes, maybe a villain is on the bad side and a good superhero is on the good side. And so you can really, you know, customize it to the kid. But by having them involved in that process and trying to have their fingers slide closer and closer to whatever the good side of the scale is, can be really empowering for them to, for not only their meta-awareness of their own sounds, we want them to, of course, be aware of how they're sounding, like them being able to self-correct, them being able to rate themselves, and then also having this fun visual where they can, you know, exclaim like, oh my gosh, I think I was on this side of the scale this time. I was near the good superhero this time. And of course, before you do this, you're going to have to teach them about rating and make sure that they're able to discriminate within themselves when they're hearing themselves what's an accurate production and what's a, you know, what's close and then what was not good at all. Um, But it's a really nice way for them to gain that awareness and also have fun with it. The second way I like to gamify the, gamify the process is through having the child be involved in the data tracking process. So a sliding scale kind of is that, but this is more so overall productions per session. So, you know, maybe you create your own bar graph and you you know have them put a bar to whatever the end data was of their production. So let's say if they were 50% accurate that time, then they would get a bar up to the 50 line. Now this is also good because it kind of integrates them understanding math and graph data, um, but it's also just a great visual because they can see their progress over time And again, you can customize it. If their favorite color is pink, well, let's make the whole thing pink. If they like SpongeBob, you can get some SpongeBob stickers and put it on the graph. Whatever feels good to them that they can have ownership over, it is a great way to get the kid involved and motivated to say, Last time I was doing only 20%, but look at this time I'm at 25%. So instead of them just feeling that monotonous feeling of coming back and being like, well, I know most of my productions were wrong. Now they can actually see, no, actually I'm getting better. And so it's kind of this flip of mindset from like, feeling defeated to feeling like, look at all of this progress, even though we know that's going to be slow and steady over time, as well as that meta-awareness of how they're producing sound. So then hopefully outside of speech, they're able to self-correct, which is the absolute dream in articulation, of course. Yeah.
0: So, um, I mean, the end goal is always, we don't want, we say that we don't want you to be in speech forever. We want you to do, get what you need get the support you need and then if you're able to move on and know that you're when you're producing something the way you need to when you need to work on it and so i think building that accountability to where they know and understand is huge for getting to that next step the one thing that i would just caution and is that making sure that when if you are doing a rating scale Be careful about using those, you know, this was good, this was bad, just because I think sometimes in therapy, and it's kind of one of my soapbox issues where it's, you know, it's not, sometimes things aren't bad, but they may be different or, hey, we're not at the level we want to yet, or a rating as far as, you know, 10 is when you are able to self-correct, you don't need anything from me. One is when you need a reminder every single time. Um because sometimes, you know, we use those words. We just want to be careful so they don't ever associate, oh, that was a bad production. I'm bad. Um
1: but yeah you know just Uh,
0: it's it's different.
1: Yes, you are so right, Jennifer. That's a great call out and it's so good to think about how we're framing that language mm -hmm. with the students.
0: Yeah, it's always even when I was in medical, it's like, well, you failed the swallow study. I was like, gosh, why can not we change that? That just seems so, you know. You didn't fail. It's not like you purposefully set out to aspirate. Um, so I, I think the same thing is just helping them know that you know, and it's different, and it's it, we're going to work on it. And at level ten, you don't need me to help you at all. You got every single one by yourself. One. I'm gonna to need to help you until we can get you to two, three, four. So just wanted to, just want to be mindful of that. But yeah, I think that's a great, great suggestion. All right, so for the next thing is this is another one of my favorite fun games and activities that I like to do. And I like this because honestly, the kids. Love it. I every time I bring it out, and this has been with little guys like three-year-olds all the way up to you know upper elementary. And I know you all have heard of it and will be familiar with it, but Pop the Pig is so fun because and again I like activities where you can get a lot of trials for our tick. It's fun, it's engaging, it's exciting, it doesn't feel like oh gosh, you know, flashcards. But you can bring some of those things in with this game. And so, if you're not familiar with it, which I'm sure most of you are, it is where you can, um, there's, you have different colored hamburgers. And so, you can play this just you and the student. You could do it with a group, but it gives a lot of opportunities to where you have to press on this pig's hat. And once it gets to a certain number, which nobody knows, his belt will pop. His belly gets so full that his belt pops. So every time you put a hamburger in, you have to press on his head a certain number of times. And then it's like, ah! all of a sudden it happens. And it's like not expected. It's exciting. And so I like it because again, you can build it in however you want. You can do with sounds in isolation. You can do single word. You can do phrases. You can do sentences. And I use it a lot too with swear the place where I want them to self-correct and catch that you can do it just because you. there's a lot of talking that you can do within the game and a lot of commenting and, oh, I got red, I got blue. Okay, now I'm going to go. You're going to go. So you can really build in a lot of that conversational so that hopefully then they can catch themselves and say, oh, wait, what was that? And then oh yeah that's right. So and again it's really fun with groups because it's got that competitive piece um and it's also not necessarily a game of skill but also has just some luck built in because you don't know when that's going to happen and then it's also the roll of the dice. So I think sometimes too depending on groups we've all probably experienced that that you know some groups if there's If there's too much competitiveness, it's breaks down and then, ah, you know, you lose the group, but this is really just luck. So nobody can, you know, like, well, you didn't do good enough job. It's, it's just kind of the roll of the dice. And, um, and again, I love it just because I can modify it. I've done it with little guys and all the way up to upper elementary. And it, it is one of those that works well for all of those ages.
1: Wow. So are you looking for a sponsorship from uh, <laughs> Pop the Pig as, as well? Or... <laughs> I, I wouldn't turn it down. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't that's... be a bad thing. <laughs> yes. But in all seriousness, yes, yes, yes to everything you said. And I know I mentioned Pop-Up Pirate before, mm-hmm. but that's my version of my my favorite game. And it's very similar. And what I love is, again, that it's not skill-based. So you're not putting a cognitive load on the child while they're also trying to do their articulation work. There's not strategy. So if you have a mixed cognitive ability group, there's not going to be one kid who's always winning and one kid who's always losing. And then also that surprise element is so funny to kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's funny to adults too. I'm not going to lie. I recently did play Pop-Up Pirate with some friends. I'm just going to say it out loud. I did. It was in my closet and we needed a game and it was there. It's still fun for adults. And so it's really just that surprise element and that there is the luck. It's kind of like a gamble and super fun. And also for articulation therapy, being able to get in all of those trials and not to mention a lot of good social skills mixed in there turn taking, waiting your turn, being a good loser. I mean, all of these things that might not be an actual goal of the child can be snuck into the process, which I always love when you could do that as well.
0: Absolutely. And one more thing too, I want to mention with this, because again, I know not everybody is on site right now. so A lot of us are working virtually is that, well, Two things. So with Pop the Pig, if you are on site, there is this really awesome. Again, no sponsor here. Just love this, <laughs> love these products. But there is a really great um, teachers pay teachers companion to the on site game, so that you can actually keep trials with this form. So it's it helps you to kind of streamline. Like, oh, I'm doing this. Okay, I can I can streamline it. There's also a pig pop game on Teachers Pay Teachers. So it is a virtual version of Pop the Pig. Mm-hmm. So if you are providing services virtually right now or are a full-time teletherapist, that is an option as well, which is really fun. So on-site or virtual, you can get that You fixed. Get that rush. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I did not know that there was a digital version. Mm-hmm. So kudos to whoever, whichever creator made that. Um, yeah. Definitely worth looking up. So, all right. I feel like you're giving out all the fun ideas and I'm here like given not as fun ideas, but I also... Data is fun. I mean... Hey, (laughs) hey, whoever said a, a, you know, data graph isn't fun. Um, But here's one more idea that isn't really that fun, but is super helpful and can be tailored to your student. So one of the things I find is when I move a child from... Doing words or phrases to the sentence level. We've all had this experience where suddenly the kid who is doing so well just, I mean, their articulation just falls apart. And as we know, I mean, that's a big jump going from like two to three word phrases to sentences, especially if they're going to be like semi-novel sentences. And so you can really experience that huge setback. And what I've found is that a lot of times when you think about what are the variables involved when you switch from, you know, phrases to sentences is how many words they're putting together right in connected speech and what happens is that the kids pacing changes and so one of the biggest factors i've found is that if i could help the child control their pacing better then they actually can have a lot more success when they make that transition from phrases to sentences. And so I've created this system. All you need is Word or like Google Docs, whatever you use. And basically you just insert boxes, kind of like, you know, just a black box, like as if you were doing um, like symbols, but you'll just have the black boxes. I make as many as the kid needs. For some kids, that's going to be seven boxes. For some kids, that's going to be 10 or 12 boxes, whatever's the right amount for them for how much connected speech they're doing. And in those boxes, I put a motivating picture. So just like how I was talking about how you can personalize these sliding scales or data charts, you could also personalize a a pacing board. So, you know, Minecraft, super cool. So I hear. So for instance, let's say you have a kid who's obsessed with Minecraft. You can put Minecraft images within those little boxes. And then, and you can ask them, like, what do you want me to put in your boxes? Let's say they say Minecraft, you put it in. And then that is their personal pacing board. And what they're going to do is every word that they say, they're going to be touching a square with a finger. So let's say, you know, they're saying, I want to go to the store. Every word, they're going to have to touch a box while they're saying the word one-to-one correlation. And just the act of pairing this tactile cue with their speech allows them to slow down their speech so that they can have those more accurate productions. And of course, we're going to want to fade this as well over time. You're not going to want them to have a pacing board forever, have to bring it everywhere with them. But telling a kid, I mean, these kids get told all the time, slow down, I couldn't understand what you said, like slow down and use your good speech. Well, For a kid, they might not be able to self-regulate their pace of speech independently. And so this really gives them a tool to be able to have some support while they're starting to work on regulating the pace of their speech. And then the next level of trying to kind of generalize this is just simply a tap of the finger on the leg. And so this means that they don't need to have a pacing board with them, but they can just, you know, say, I want to go to the store and be tapping their leg while they're doing it so they can still have that prompting with them to regulate the pace of their speech. And hopefully it reduces those conversations of, Johnny, slow your speech. Johnny, are you using your good sounds? And instead gives them the power to cue themselves and then also um, hopefully helps them discriminate between their their fast speech and their slower speech, which can give them higher accuracy with articulation.
0: Yeah, I think many times it is always so funny. This is something that I've thought about many times where we say, slow down, speed up. Well, that's very subjective. I mean, what does slowing down mean? What is speeding <laughs> yeah. up? When I'm, it's, and especially as a child, those are very abstract concepts where you just can't, like, okay, is, is, is this slower? Is this, you know, it, and even as an adult sometimes, because it's the listener saying, slow down, speed yeah, up. It's well, their perception. Yes. What is slow to you? What is fast to you versus what is slow to me? What is fast to me? So I always thought that was really silly to, to say because it's like, okay, how yeah, is it? frustrating
1: Better? for the yes, kid. Yes,
0: exactly. So I think that awareness piece is huge. Instead of saying that to them, I think showing them what that looks like, because again, you can say it all you want. If they don't understand the concept or it's not matching what the listeners wanting, then it's not ever going to be successful. So I think showing them so that they can physically, like you said, that tactile touch to understand what does slow sound like. Mm-hmm. What does fast like what does this even so then they yeah, can move on? Like? Yeah, so that they can move on and even as they get better at it, could even, you know, quietly do that on their leg. And it wouldn't even be obvious Noticeable, to keep yeah. them to pace themselves. Um I also like that too because I think again you can Create something that's motivating for that student because you know we all have the, our our flashcards with just our generic photos. We all own them. They're they're great for for some things, but the student what they don't have a lot of buy in sometimes, and so if we can. Create something like you said, Minecraft, or another activity, or a, a sports team. Or One
1: of my favorite was How to Train Your Dragon, and I called it Your Magic Dragon Board. And I'm like, oh, Did you bring your Magic Dragon Board? And they're like, This gives me powers. Yeah, this helps my speech be good. And so, really, that positive reinforcement layered on.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you can create those something that's motivating to them. So it's not something you think is motivating, but it is truly something that is motivating. Um, And I also agree that anytime that I can pair movement with speech, I have had greater success, whether it's even a, a young child who I'm trying to elicit speech or trying to pace, or I feel like I've learned so much from my physical therapy friends that anytime you can compare compare that movement with that tactile, with speech, you're just going to get more success overall. So... All right, so I think we covered some great, um, in my opinion, (laughs) some great ideas. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you ask me, um, I think they're great, and I we hope that you do as well, and that you find some value in these. And again, share with us if you have ideas or thoughts um, in our show notes. It'll tell you how to connect with us. But we love learning from you all, and um, hope that you learn from us as well. So. Thank you for joining us and um, stay tuned for the next part
1: three in our series on teletherapy. Bye. And if you'd like to get in touch with us at the podcast, send us an email at disclosure at gowithadvanced.com. And each episode's show notes are available at the website go with advanced.com backslash SLP full disclosure and make sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you listen to get the latest updates. And if you want to give us a little shout out, make sure to leave us a review on Apple podcasts. It really helps spread the word. Also, special thanks to Jonathan Carey for producing this episode and Aiden Dykes for the music and editing. And as always, this episode was powered by Advanced Travel Therapy. See you next time.